Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Well, welcome to Countercharge. I'm Jeff Shulkin, and thanks for having me. And I'm Rob Enough. And as you just heard, we have Jeff Shulkin on the show. Uh, fan favorite. We've had several people request you to come into the List Builder studio, so we're super excited to have you on the show finally. Oh, I'm super excited to be here. I really appreciate it, too. It's fun to be able to talk Kings of War. Now, it's too bad your son couldn't join us again, though. That would have made it even cooler. I know. He's uh, he's super excited about King War. He's coming to Adepticon with me, actually. I don't know how he's going to react when he sees that vendor floor. I think he's going to go... He's going to go nuts, and he's going to have just—he's going to have the best time ever. So I'm really excited about Adepticon. Well, let's get a little bit of origin story. Tell us your background with, you know, tabletop war gaming, and I know you went through Warhammer Fantasy battles, and now you're here. But kind of just give us that securitist route from, you know, you as a young gamer to where we are now in Kings of War. I started at just as as a kid, and I'm kind of an old guy now. But when I was young, I would do models, airplanes, and model tanks, and that kind of thing. So I've always sort of been into the hobby of it, even if I didn't know it at the time. And I remember I was probably maybe 23 or 24 years old, and I had a buddy of mine for Christmas just gave me the old, if you remember the old Games Workshop, Bretonian Knights, they had like a two-pack of these guys. And he said to me, hey... I know you like building models and there's these cool little night models. And I was super excited just to put models together. And then he said, but the coolest part is, is that there's a game that goes with it and you can actually do something with the models that you paint and that you build. So that was my, uh, how I started way back when this has got to be 27 years ago or so. And I think Warhammer might've been in like fourth or fifth way back then and got really into it, got into the whole tournament scene and it was awesome. Had a great group of guys here in the Twin Cities. It's always been good, whether it's been Warhammer or Kings of War. And then when Warhammer went away of the dodo, I started playing Kings of War because there was a couple guys I knew who were into it here. And then ever since, I've been Kings of War the whole time. Talk to us about your scene, because I know you're up in Twin Cities, right? I live in a suburb of um, St. Paul, Minneapolis. The scene here is pretty good. I, I mean, I've traveled around the country to different tournaments, and I know some areas have a really good uh, following a really good scene and some really dedicated players, but I think we have a pretty good one too. Um, especially if you consider all of Minnesota, like the guys up in Duluth, Chris Kapsmer and Donnie and those guys, they have a small group up there, but those guys are always playing. There's a big group of us in the Twin Cities. We've got a WhatsApp group and Discord that we talk on all the time and guys are gaming and it's pretty easy to find a game. If you want a game, you can get it. I don't know how many guys are currently playing. It kind of ebbs and flows with the time of year. But as you know, in Minnesota, it's cold all the time. So you have a lot of time for gaming. And I think that's why so many people game. Because if there's three feet of snow and it's 20 degrees below zero, there's nothing better to do than to play a game or paint in your basement. Where do you typically play at? We used to have a store. It was called Tower Games. And I know some guys, maybe 10 to 15 guys, play there fairly regularly on Saturdays. But the store is small. It's a great store. Uh, it's a smaller store, though, and they just don't have the space. And so there's another store here called Game Center, and it's gigantic. I mean, it, they they can hold tournaments of like 150 people. And uh, they also have beer and food, and it's, it's just wonderful place. So for me, 
and some of the other guys were playing there at at Game Center, and maybe weeknights, some weekends. It just depends what which uh, place is open. Because, like I said, Tower Games is smaller; and it just doesn't have quite as much space as we'd like, so it makes it a little harder to get tables. And I know right now you're playing ogres. What's next for you? You have another uh, army in the wings. Actually, not played a single game with ogres since Masters. I put ogres down after Masters, and I started playing a Varengar uh, list that I took to two tournaments here in Minnesota. I took them to the Lady of the Lake, and I took them to uh, Renegade, which is another local G two two day GT that we have right here in the Cum Cities. So I've been playing the Varengar list for a while now, and then over the like the last two months. I have probably played 30 games, and out of those 30 games, I've probably played 10 different factions in that time, just messing around with lists. I'm actually having a great time playing with different factions, totally different lists, stuff that I normally don't use, and it's been super fun. I just played a game last night, actually, against a guy here, and it was super fun. I brought a crazy, off-the-wall Riftforge orc list. And it was just a super fun game. We both had a blast. He brought Abyssal Dwarves, and we just went at it. But it was just, I'm just having a great time just, just trying different stuff, especially with the new book out and everything. There's a lot of new rules and new units, and I just kind of want to see how everything works together. What are some of your favorite things from the new Clash of Kings book? Obviously, there's always things that can be better, but I think they've done a great job of bringing in new units, revamping some of the armies, keeping everything relatively balanced. Um, I like the fact that there's not not new units necessarily i mean there are though but i just like the fact that some units that maybe you wouldn't use before got a little bit of an upgrade and now they might be worth taking uh, i just think i just think it's it's been awesome and the thing i like the most though is the new scenarios i think the new scenarios are fantastic to be honest i think push it's the the, the changes to it have made it a really really good scenario and totally changed the old dynamic that you know, and you've talked about it in some of the other podcasts, but you fell into the same exact pattern with push in every single game that you played it just because it was ex- the same thing again and again. So I really like the push scenario. I love the new, oh, I forget the name of it now, Rob, help me out. Hold the line. Yeah. Hold the line. That's it. I really love hold the line. Honestly, I think it's a great scenario and the scenarios have things for different armies, which I really like. There's not one scenario that benefits just a fast army or a scenario that benefits just a slow army. There's just different scenarios now and it can really make a lot of different builds viable for those scenarios. And I, I love that. Um, I've only played the new stockpile scenario twice or maybe three times, but it was kind of fun because it's so different than what you're used to with loot. So I really, I'm a big, I'm, I, I'm the biggest fan of the new scenarios and I'm glad that they did something to change those up, especially considering i think in a lot of tournaments you don't see the bluff counter scenarios used all that often and so it's nice to have some more options from the standard five or six that you see in tournaments right and we don't see kill very often either well exactly you don't see kill you don't see some of the bluff counter scenarios i know sometimes loot gets voted out because people are bothered by loot and and so it's nice just to have a couple extra options and especially revamping push it really gives you three almost completely new scenarios. Well, are you ready to go into the List Builder Studio? Absolutely. The List Builder Studio. Well, let's start with this. Uh, kind of my, open, my opening salvo here is, what draws you to an army? Is it the models? Is it how the army plays? The rarity of the army in your local scene or like a perceived weakness or an advantage? 
talk to me about what draws you to an army. So first of all, like I love competitive play. I, I, that is my bread and butter. I love it. But strangely enough, I also really love the hobby. So I need to at least like the models that are currently being produced for a certain army to even consider doing it. And there might be lists that I've never even thought about, but they come out with new models. And if I like those models, it really makes me want to find a way to put together a great list that's going to be competitive, but at the same time, I'm going to have a good time painting those models. So that does have something to do with it when it comes to that. Ironically, ogres, for me, the reason that I started that army is because I was super fortunate and a couple of years back, I won the um, I won Adepticon with a Mantic army. So I, I got a trip to England to Clash, which was awesome. It was literally one of the greatest experiences of my life. But because I knew I needed to travel, I had I had played at Adepticon with my undead army. But the undead army was everything was super dynamic basing, models everywhere, little swords and bits hanging off, and there was there's literally no way that was gonna go to England. There's just no way I'm going to fit that in an airplane. So ironically, I decided I needed the army that was way more compact to travel with. And that's how I started the ogre list. So in that one regard, the ogres came about simply because I needed an army that could travel to, to Europe. When you're building an army, give me a sense of where you fall. Is it the fluff of the army or the play style? On occasion, I have played some alpha strike lists, but mostly... My play style tends to be one of, um, I want to I want to take a punch, and then counter super hard and make you pay for whatever punch you just threw, and it's not always the case because I played a lot of different lists over the years. But I think in general that's where I lean towards. And there's some guys who I know who are just wizards the way they use an alpha strike list or the way they use a shooting list, and that's not me. I really am much more. I'll, like I said, I'll take that punch, but I'm going to make you pay for whatever punch you threw, or at least that's the hope. Not It doesn't always work that way. Where does the inspiration for a new project come from? So when I'm hobbying, with the hobby aspect of, of a new project, I always am trying to find a new basing scheme that I haven't seen very often because I don't want to fall into the same old, same old when it comes to, to basing. So my inspiration always comes of what models can I take and put them in a fun basing scheme? Because I really like the multi-basing and I have a great time not only painting the models, but then finding a usually a cool or fun way to multi-base. And so that's kind of how I inspire myself is like, how can I incorporate these into a super fun diorama or a super fun scene or just something different? It doesn't always have to be a scene, but just something different. My Varangar list, I have them like they're coming out of the void kind of and what i did for it was was different i took i went online actually and i found pictures of like um nebula space you know constellations in space and i printed those out on a really high definition printer and then would take them and literally cut them out and glue them to the bases so the bases looked like outer space i don't know how to explain it without seeing it but i just had fun with that because it, it and it turned out to look really cool and it was just a different basing so that was my inspiration was just to do something different do you have any foundational concepts that you use in list building no matter what force you're playing when i build a list so the way i start a list is 
I first, I, I look at a list as a whole and I know guys do battle groups and I kind of have that as well when I'm, when I'm looking at the list, but what I do with, with a list. So everything for me, there has to be a purpose for every unit that equals the whole. So whatever I'm going for with that particular list, I want every single unit to have a role that they play within the list. And I always start by taking, all right, what units are going to deliver my counterpunch? And then after I have those units, what units am I going to have as either chaff or basically units, units that I can absorb the punch for my opponent with? And then after that, that's when I start building out support pieces and characters that go along with that. But I always, always look at a unit from the the concept that every single unit in my army absolutely has to support what all of the other units are doing. And if they don't do that, I, on, from a competitive standpoint, I won't even consider that unit. So that's how I start to look at a list. And now when I build a list and I really get into the nitty gritty, I'm like, all right, I like this army. I want to try something new. Which army out there looks cool? What models are looking good? So when I start that, I have basically three stages of list building, right? And sorry to put these in order, but like stage one for me. So it's sort of that conceptual phase, right? So I pick my army and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to sit down with this list. I'm going to, I'm going to bust out the book and I will study that list until I could, I have literally, I know every statistic, every special rule for every single unit in that army. And I kind of run it through my head a million times, whether you're sitting at work or you're driving down the road and you're thinking about it. I just go through that list until I know what everything does. I try to look at different, if there's synergies with the list, if there's different rules that you're like, oh, this really works. These units pair well together, or this character has a special ability or a rally or an aura or something that really makes a couple units pop, right? So the idea is you is that I really, really want to get a good idea of what every single unit does what their capabilities are and that helps me sort of form an idea of what i want the list to do in general so that's sort of stage one you're just thinking about the list kind of just deciding how i want to go about it and then how i can fit cool models into that at the same time but then stage two that is when i start to play around with different builds not my final build but just different builds and obviously it sort of depends on how much time you have. And I get it that some, you know, life happens. We don't all have endless time. And sometimes I don't either, but I generally play maybe, well, I don't know, 25, 30, 35 games with a list idea. And every single game I'm changing stuff up. I, I play a game or two and I have a unit that I don't quite like how it works, or maybe it doesn't work well. It's a good unit, but it doesn't work well with the rest of the army or what I'm trying to do. And so I play a ton of games just testing out the new units seeing how those characters work do i do i want that ability do i really need that magic item um type of thing and i'll play it i'll play like i said 20 25 30 games with every and everyone is sort of a different build or a variation of the build and that's sort of stage two is just sort of kind of rounding it out, figuring out exactly what I want and what's going to work the best. And then kind of stage three is once I've, you know, and, the, and usually this is getting ready for a tournament. So it's like, all right, Adepticon's coming up in six months. I have 
that much time to get it ready. And, and so you're ramping up for that tournament or, or, you know, in the case of England with my ogres, it was the exact same thing. I'm like, all right, I know England's coming up. I got nine months till England. I need to hit sort of these goals in my list building to get the list where I want it to be so I can really compete. Uh, and so then less list or step three, I should say, stage three is really, so once I settle on that, that final list where I'm like, all right, these units work well, I have the synergies, I have the support pieces, I have the chaff that I need to deliver the counterpunch. Once I have that, I'll play at least another 25 to 30 games with that final list. And I won't change the list regardless of wins or losses because I I really want to fine tune that list. I mean, I already spent all the time thinking about the list. I spent all the time playtesting different builds. And so now I really want to play sort of with the final product, right? And to me, that's the last step sort of ramping up the list to a tournament. So it's, it's conceptual, then it's fiddling around with different builds with that concept. And then once you finally find that sweet spot where all of your units are working well together, you got a feel for the army, then to me, it's perfecting it. Cause I, I'm definitely a player. I need reps with an army. If I'm going to be successful on the tabletop with it, I can't just, I can't just roll out of bed one morning and play a list. I'm going to get, I'll get smoked by any good player. Do you use universal battle? As part of your list development, do you, are you a universal battle player? I am not. I'm an. I don't even have a any sort of desktop or laptop at my house at all, and so I just don't. I I know a lot of guys who love it. I just have never. I've never even played one game. I've seen it twice, but I don't. I have that opportunity. But like I said, I'm super lucky. We have a good scene, and so I can get a game or two each week if I need to. Talk to me about the number of drops that you put in a list. Yeah, I, I mean it really depends on each faction or that I'm trying with, but I tend to get nervous if I'm under 13 drops, somewhere in that range, 12 or 13. Um, to me, the list is too small. I'm really looking for 14, 15, 16 drops, but that's not, there's some armies that just don't lend themselves to that. And then of course there's some armies like goblins that you have 30 and you feel like you don't have enough. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know what I mean? There's just some lists that you can get a ton of drops, but I really, I don't want to play a super, super elite list, but at the same time, I generally don't play lists that have nine, 18, 19 drops. That's also not quite my style. Um, you know, even with Ogres, they have, I think my list had 16 drops at one point, and that's probably one of the higher drop armies I've ever played at, with at 2,300 points. Um, but, you know, I didn't like, they, what was it they were calling it? The nine by nine that the people were running for a while? Right. I was never a fan. I agree. I thought it was terrible. It just didn't have teeth to it. Right. And I know there was a ton of drops, but it just didn't have enough, it didn't have enough teeth. It didn't have enough punch. And, you know, you've played Ogres a ton. You've had good success with them too. But I just didn't think that was a good list. And so I went about in my own way of like, how can I take this idea and, meld it and turn it into a list that I think is actually going to be effective. And it turns out it was super effective. So yeah, I, I but I would say in, in getting, I didn't want to get off track, but yeah, yeah, 13, 14, 15 drops, I think is my sweet spot. I, I don't know if I'd ever play a list with less than 13 drops, but I rarely play lists that have more than 16. Right. So on that note of number of drops, let's go the other direction. What about unit strength? So what are you looking for in, in, you know, from your list to give you in terms of unit strength. I know some guys really like 
having that unit strength number high. To me, it is not unit strength that matters. It's scoring drops that matter. So if you have a list with 14 drops, but all of them score, to me, that is better than a list that might be 12 scoring drops, but has slightly higher unit strength or four or five more higher unit strength. Um, Because in the end of the day, most of the time it's going to come down to, do you get a unit onto a token? And it doesn't necessarily matter what the unit strength is. Uh, Do you have a couple units you can barrel into uh, whatever in control or in dominant? You can get a couple more units into that zone. And sometimes I guess it can bite you in the butt, but once again, and it also depends on the scoring system, right? Like Northern Kings really rewards you for units, not necessarily unit strength. Um, And so to me, having units that score in and of themselves is far more important necessarily than the actual unit strength of those units that score. Not always. Once again, it, it can bite you in the butt, but um, it always it always comes in handy to have those extra scoring units. I just find it's it's such a boon. You can you can pick up that extra loot token. You can control that extra quarter that your opponent can't get to. You know, he's got unit strength four, but it's tied up in one unit. I have unit strength three, but it's in three different you know characters who are nimble. So that unit strength four can only contest one zone and control, but my three characters can get three potentially. And that's sort of how I look at it when it comes to, to unit strength. And I also, you know, this is going into individuals and stuff like that when you're building lists, right? To be honest, I actively try not to have individuals in my list if I can help it. Earlier, you were talking about the durability of your units. And I think that yeah. would play into unit strength as well, because you can have less unit strength if your unit strength is durable. Absolutely. So my Varngar list... So I also, I I have to admit, I kind of have a fetish for units that are um, like large infantry units that are, they hit on fours, but they have crush two and vicious. So crushing two and vicious to me is as good as elite on a unit. Um, I love snow trolls more than any unit in the game, to be honest. They're awesome. They regen, they're defense five. They have a higher nerve. They're, I think they're 15, 18, so they have a higher break point, which is a big deal when you regen. Those guys, they hit on fours. They have 18 attacks, but they're crushed too, and they're vicious. And that crushing two and vicious, if they hit you, they're going to wound you in most cases. And that's that's a, a thing. You can, they're very reliable, even though we all know fours can be, you know, fours to hit can be swingy. But when you're adding vicious to the mix with crushing two, it's awesome. I love snow trolls. I love zombie trolls. I love obsidian golems. I love all of those units that hit on fours, but they're but they're crushed too and vicious. They just it just makes such a difference in the way the math works out, and it gives you some real reliability. Once you hit, you know you're going to wound. That's the, that's what I love. So I, I definitely have a fetish for those type of units, and I try to build them into a lot of uh, lists that I that I have. Let's talk about chaff. I think somebody else touched on this, but to me, any unit is chaff if it can win you the game. That's the first thing that I would just always say. If you need to sacrifice a unit to get an objective or to take out one of your opponent's units that's pivotal pivotal to the game, then any single unit is expendable and can be chaff. But when you're talking about traditional chaff, I really believe in thick chaff. My chaff needs to be able to beat your chaff is how I look at it. Even if your chaff is faster, even if your chaff might be nimble and pathfinder and all these goodies, if your chaff charges mine, it it can't win. It has to bounce 
off of me. That's how I look at chaff. So I like regiments or with ogres, you know, obviously ogre regiments are great, but even if I'm playing Varangar, I love regiments of, of, it can be the clansmen. It can be, I, I, I use quite a few of the regiments of clansmen in my, uh, Varangar list actually, but I want to, I want units that they can get out in front and they can take a punch. And the, the best part about thick chaff is I want my opponent to absolutely my opponent will need to commit more units to just to, to basically kill my chaff and that's fine because if my chaff dies but he has to commit two really good units that means my counter punch is potentially cleaning up two of his units and that comes into the you know trading trading pieces type of thing that a lot of people talk about but i want my chaff you need to commit so much to get rid of my chaff that whatever is left when you when you finally remove my chaff you're exposing potentially two good units to my counter punch and my counter punch usually is going to be enough to take you down let's talk magical artifacts so my motto i think someone else said this but i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to use the phrase but more boys and less toys more boys less toys always always more units and as few items as possible now Sometimes there are units that just cry out for a certain magic item, and then I will reluctantly give them that item. For example, in my Varangar list, I have two hordes of snow trolls, and like I said, they're fantastic. They're 15-18, so they can waver, and I have two hordes of them, and one of them has fury, and one of them has headstrong. And I think those are the only magic items in my entire list, and that makes those trolls so hard to deal with. They have a high breakpoint, they regen, they're defense five and they just keep coming back and they keep hitting you with their crush two and their vicious. So sometimes a unit absolutely cries out for a magic item, but for the most part, I, I go out of my way to take as few items as possible. I want more units. I want an extra character. If I can fit it, fit a character in, I want an extra, extra chaff unit or extra war machine or whatever it is. I always want, I want another unit if I can make it happen potential army archetypes that you may play against like shooting malay horde elite that that kind of thing when you're building a list i am a little bit crazy and i play a ton and so when i'm building a new list and i am considering what i'm going to play against i will schedule games as much as i can to try to play against all of the different list types that are that I possibly can. So in that phase two that I was talking about, where I'm like, all right, I'm going to play around with different lists. I'm going to add different or meaning different units. I'm going to play around with different builds within this faction. I will also I'll say so I'll be like, hey, I'm I'm going to message Jason Byrne. I'm like, hey, Jason, let's play a game. Bring your elves. I'm going to do this, and he's like, cool, and we play elves. And then I'll message John Becker, and I'll be like, hey, John, I'm going to bring this list, and I'll send him the list. And I said, I'll say, pick a pick an army, whatever you want to bring, and you bring, you know what I'm bringing. You bring the filthiest thing you can think of that might counter the list that I'm going to bring to you. And so I want to actually play against those different lists. Now, obviously, there's a million different builds out there, and you can't get them all. But I try to get games in against the most common type of armies and the most common type of lists that I can because I want to see in action what those lists actually do against 
against me? You know, what those players are going to do. What are, how are they going to, how are they going to run? What problems is it going to give me? Am I going to have a problem with their chaff? Do they have shooting that I can't deal with? Is there uh, a, an issue with number of drops and they just outscore me? I mean, that kind of thing. So I will literally play as many games as possible to try to mitigate that. So I have a good idea of what to expect. And that helps me then sort of pick and choose as I'm refining the list, which units are going to stay and which units are going to go. Do you consider scenarios when you're building your list? Don't build a list that's designed for a specific scenario or type of scenario. But what I do do is I say, okay, I'm going to play these scenarios. I want a list that won't lose in a particular scenario. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, for example, loot. There tend to be some armies up here that are pretty fast and they can jump on these loot tokens before I even move. So I want to build a list that says, all right, loot might be a problem for me in terms of getting to the token right away. But if you're going to be aggressive and you're going to jump on that token, I want a list that can make you pay for sticking your neck out too far and getting on that loot token. Or for example, all right, you want a list that's going to barrel into uh, a dominate circle. Well, I'm going to I'm going to make you pay if you come in too too quick. Or control, same thing. I'm going to build a list. I might not control six of the table quarters, but I'm going to build a list that's going to control four of the table quarters and be able to beat you that way, or table six, or whatever it is. Um, so I kind of look at it the opposite. How am I? What? How is my list going to not lose a scenario to a different type of list. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm not trying to build a list that's going to dominate every scenario. I want a list that can counter my opponent in every scenario. How do you account for speed and flyers when you're list building? I have to think about speed and flyers all the time because um, there's a bunch of guys here that really run, love to run fast lists. I seem to run into it in every tournament I play. I mean, at Masters, I played Keith Randall and his super sneaky fast elves. And I played Jeff Radigan and in his Scorchwing list, I think it was like back to back. So I knew that that could happen. And I also run into that here with different elf lists. We have a couple guys who love to run like Order the Green Lady, the super alpha strike list. I run into those kind of lists a lot. Like I said, the Green Lady, some elf lists. Um, I had a guy here who wasn't playing the exact Scorchwing list, but he was playing a Salamander list that had you know, scorch wings and it was pretty quick and rhinosaurs and they were just coming at you really fast. Um, so I definitely always think about how I can build a list that is going to make flyers struggle. Um, I love doing it with surge because surge can really make flyers, uh, worry because it just, it just doesn't allow them to park themselves behind you or too close to you on the side. Cause you're just going to, you're just going to turn and surge into them and just kill them. So I really like surge. I really like my dwarf list. I was running years ago, had a lot of surge. I have an abyssal dwarf list. It doesn't have as much surge, but enough surge to make my opponent worry. Um, or then with ogres, the nice part about ogres is you have all the really versatile, nimble characters that either shoot or have a lightning bolt and you can turn them and just, you know, take care of your flying problem that way. So I definitely, I'm, I'm always considering how am I going to mitigate, you know, flyers. And even with my Varangar list, I don't have the shooting or the surge, but I built in units that can layer up to take care of that flying threat. And it was, it's been pretty successful with that. Do you consider deployment schemes when you're building a list? 
I actually practice my deployment with a list uh, many times before I play a game. I'm kind of weird like that, especially when you're getting lists that have larger footprints, like Abyssal Dwarves can tend to have pretty big footprints. To me, deployments are this, one of the most important phases of the game, might be the most important phase. My deployment needs to be spot on. But hey, I mean, we played it, you and I played what, at Shiloh Slaughter a couple of years ago, right? I think my deployment in that game wasn't super good. And you beat me because of the fact that my deployment wasn't where it needed to be and my units weren't in, in the spots that I, I should have had them. And so it's games like that where you learn like, man, my deployment needs to be better. My deployment needs to be way tighter. I need to know exactly what each unit's going to do. And it doesn't mean it's my unit, my army deploys the same way every game. But like I said, the army has to function as a whole. All the battle groups have to function as a whole. And so regardless of terrain, you still need to make sure that they're all supporting each other. And so to me, it's super important to practice my deployment. And I, I consider deployment maybe one of the first things I consider once the list, I've conceptualized the list. I'm like, how is this going to deploy together? How are these units going to fit? How are the characters going to support each other? Is my chaff where it needs to be? Do I have flyer mitigation? How am I going to do against shooting if, if I get something caught out and all of a sudden they shoot apart, you know, some of my line? You know, that's that's the, one of the very first things I think about. How do you account for terrain when you're list building? Well, I'm funny with terrain, to be honest. I honestly don't prioritize terrain mitigation. And maybe it's because a lot of my lists, once again, tend to be, I am taking a punch and so I'm counterpunching you. And my art, my, my units are designed for that. So I find that oftentimes I'm not the charger. I am the chargee. And so I actually prefer to be in the terrain and then I'm the counter charger classic reference there. And it doesn't matter if I'm in terrain, I don't need strider. I don't need uh, pathfinder because I've, I've already been charged. Now I'm just counter charging you. So I don't prioritize it. Now, obviously there's some units that just have it and that's awesome. Uh, it's great when you have a, a golem who has strider or a giant who has strider. Those guys are great for that. But in units in general, I don't think I've ever in any, almost any list I've taken. I don't think I've ever taken like the boots of striding or, or back in the day when they had the caterpillar or whatever. I just, I never, I never used it. My lists aren't, aren't built that way. My opponent needs to worry about the terrain, not me. And I'm going to do whatever I can to put my opponent in bad situations. So he's the one who wishes he had terrain mitigation, not me. How does playing on a clock affect your list building? Terrible answer, but not at all. I play fast. It's sometimes a bad habit and I've tried to slow myself down at points, but I play, I play quick. I I've learned over the years when I'm making moves that usually my first instinct, weirdly enough, is the right instinct. And so I've, I've, I've had a bad habits in the past where I would mark my unit and then move it and then rethink it, put it back, move it again, and that wastes time. But I've learned that, my, like I said, my first instinct's usually the better decision. And so I, I, I tend to play quick that way. I've also, a couple of years ago, I really made it a huge effort to clean up my movement uh, in the movement phase and where I, and, and just marking units. So I've actually built little things for myself where my units, they, they're all marked. And I really like that because it's super easy then to make a move. If you need to move back, you can, but you're not wasting time. And so it really has helped me 
when I cleaned up my movement and my marking my units and just making sure everything was super clean, it actually ironically helps with your time because you're not wasting time moving stuff back or wondering about your decision. And so I don't, I, I don't think I've ever really had a problem with clocks in any game at all because, like I said, I just play fast. Do you consider the first turn or the turn seven dice rolls when building a list? No, because to me, you can't control that. It is a dice roll, and there is nothing I can do about it. If my list is around on turn six, I feel like it should be around on turn seven anyways. Obviously, there's always games. We've all had those games where, man, if it ended in six, I would have won, or if it went to seven, I would have won. But like I said, I, I can't control that, it's, and especially with going first, right? Like if, To me, if you're building a list that has to go first, or you're in trouble, then that's not for a competitive standpoint, that's not a viable list in my opinion, or it's not, not viable, but it's not a great list. If you are reliant on going first, if you build an army that's too heavy shooting or needs to move and moving first is definitely an advantage for sure. I mean, it's a, it's a huge advantage for a lot of lists. Even my lists that tend to be the, the counter punch list, it's still a huge advantage to you're putting yourself in a position where your opponent has to react, but I can't control that. And there's nothing I can do about it. So I want to build a list that it doesn't matter if I go first or second, it still has the same effect. And like I said, I feel that if you have a list that needs to go first, you're already in, you're in trouble from the start because you just can't control that dice roll. How does the hobby side of things affect your list building? Like it, like in the beginning, I said, I want an army where I think the models look cool. You know, I needed the army for England that was compact, but I also loved the new Ogre models that they had at the time because those were awesome. Um, when every time a new faction comes out, like I find myself looking at Twilight Kin and salivating because I love some of the new models. They're just awesome. And that makes me want to open that list and say, okay, how can I take this list, this faction, and put together a list that's going to be really, really, really competitive because I really like the aesthetics of it. I've only recently gotten into some of the, the lore and the fluff that Mantic has started to put out. Um, so I, I have to admit when it comes to the fluff side of things, I just don't know as much about Kings of War as say Warhammer because the old world was so in depth and I had spent so many years reading novels and books. Um, and so I just don't have that with Kings of War. So for me, it's really based on what new models come out, what models within a certain range look good. And then that's sort of how I make my choice, not necessarily based on the fluff. What's the most overlooked thing that impacts successful list building? That's a tough question, actually. The most overlooked thing. I mean, I don't know what however the guys look how other guys look at their lists. I don't know if it's a secret, but once again, I'm I'm not anti-individuals, but I do think that there's a real sweet spot for how many individuals are too many individuals. And I feel that sometimes I run into lists at tournaments where I can tell right away that they're in trouble against me because they just have a few too many individuals that don't quite do enough, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's overlooking something, though. To me, that's a flaw in the list design. So maybe that's not quite answering the question. <laughs> you stumped me on this one, Rob. <laughs> well, we, we, we aim to please. We aim to please. Yeah. You, no, you totally stumped me. I, and well, I, I guess maybe I don't know. Like We have a group here that we chat with a lot about list building and I have a couple guys 
that I shoot messages off to a lot with, here's my new list. What do you think? And there's a couple dudes here uh, or a couple guys in Ohio that I talk to and I'll say, hey, here's my list idea. I want you to go through it and you tell me where you think maybe I, I have a, I'm not economically using my points for a certain thing. And they're more than happy to take a look at it and say, hey, yeah, this isn't quite as efficient as maybe it could be. Or have you thought about this instead? Or maybe instead of these two units, you could take the formation and it has three units. So I do bounce those ideas off guys and they kind of do the same with me with their list ideas, but I don't know if I know how people are looking at their list building necessarily. Next up, pick a list and walk us through the list. What the units are, what units are there? What artifacts, if any, are there? What's their purpose in the list? And just give us a sense of how this list is constructed from inside out. And then at the end, you know, we'll talk about, you know, unit strength and number of drops and stuff. And then I'll have some questions. Okay. So my Varnguard list, like I said, I had a, awesome time with this list. It was, it, it was super versatile. It just served me really, really well. So the core of the list was built around uh, two hordes of snow trolls, a regiment of mounted sons, and then a, uh, a regiment of the, what are they called now? The hearth guard. They're the human tribesmen that you upgrade. They're basically, they used to be the house carls. I think they were called. So that was, those were my four, like, the, my main hammers, right? And I, I, I use that as a, I sort of started with the list. I said, okay, I need some hammers that can deliver a, a real punch. And I, I took those units. And like I said, the snow trolls, I love. They're, they're so good. Uh, they're just so versatile and they're so survivable. And so one would have the chalice of wrath. The other would have the dwarven ale. So I just know I never had to really worry about wavering and I could just let them do what trolls do. Uh, then I had three regiments of the human tribesmen, and I love them. They're 14, 16, they're defense five, they have crushing one, they hit on threes. So they're, and they're only 150 points. So they're kind of expensive for chaff, but they're also not just chaff. They can, they can absolutely dish it out, especially if you get a flank or something uh, with them. So your opponent can't ignore them. So that was sort of that. But then the crux of the list, uh, what made it work is I had three snow troll primes and three things on frost fangs. And those are all, the snow troll primes are fantastic. They regen. They're also 13, 16. They're super high nerve. Uh, they inspire. They're vicious. They just don't die. And the things are fast and they're also inspiring. So you just have inspiring everywhere. But the key was you have the human tribesmen and then you have the primes and the frost fang, the things, and they just, they can get in the way of anything. They're great chaff. They can charge out, hold units down. And it, it basically almost always assured me that the mounted suns and the trolls and the hearth guard were always going to hit their target. Uh, it was very rare that those units, those hammers were taking it were getting hit. They were always doing, doing the hitting. And so that was the crux of the list was those, was those six nimble, either the, they're all, and they're all, I think, cause the snow troll primes are all on large, they're on, um, monster bases. So they're pretty good size. And so are the large cap. They're on those monster bases as well, which sometimes people don't like those characters on those monster bases, but I actually love it 
with the snow troll primes because they could just block up so much with that extra base size and they're so hard to remove. And so those, those units plus the, the regiments really, really made it tough for an opponent to get to my main battle line. And also if you're ignoring some of the snow troll primes or a couple of the things on Frostfang, those guys are going to get into flanks super fast. They just have a knack of doing that. And all of a sudden you just have a ton of attacks Every you know the the primes the snow troll primes are vicious. They're coming in hard. They're hitting on threes, and so the list was just super versatile, and it had really really good success too. It really did well in all the tournaments I played in. So that that was the the core of the list right there is just those units. And I think it was thirteen drops at, at I think four maybe fourteen drops at uh, at twenty three hundred points. And what drew you to this army originally? Originally with Varengar is I had some old uh, Warhammer models I wanted to use. That literally was it. And I said, oh, Varengar looks cool. But I've played Varengar maybe two or three different times with various lists over the years. And I keep coming back to it because I really, I just like the idea of them. I think their units are cool. Um, especially now they have, they're starting to come out with some cooler Varengar models. And some of the new Northern Alliance can be used as such. And I think some of the new Northern Alliance stuff is awesome. So the combination of having models from way back in the day that I wanted to use to now really starting to like some of the Mantic stuff just keeps drawing me back to them. Plus, I just like an army that fights so well. And all of these units, every single unit in that list is just great in combat. They're just, they're fantastic. So it fights well. Does it do anything else well? Yeah, it's actually pretty quick because the combination of the things and the snow troll primes they're all nimble they're all fairly fast you know speed six isn't great but when you add nimble to it 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 gets the job done and speed seven and nimble is is really good so it does really well i can play really wide really wide i can cover the whole table and a lot of times and it was also at one point to, to round out the 2300 i had one uh, lord on Frostfang. so at one point i was running my line was of the regiment's and the trolls and the hearth guard with the snow troll primes scattered in between for inspiring and for chaff. And then way out on the wing, I would run the Lord, the three things on Frostfang, and I would run the knights with them. And the, my line was tough to deal with because of all the thick chaff and the snow troll primes. But then you had this just absolute hammer of pain with all the lords and the things on the Frostfangs with the knights behind them. That was super hard to stop. It was just really tough and especially their height four those things in the lord they can see over things they're nimble so i could shoot them off at a at a unit that was my opponent might thought was safe and then clog up the unit in front that he thought was going to take the charge and uh it was really effective at just really devastating a flank and at the same time i just had this rock hard center of the army with these with all the trolls and all the regiments and the hearth guard behind them super hard it was really hard for people to deal with so it covered really well and it was pretty durable because there's a lot of nerve involved and it just fights really well how does it handle scenarios honestly really really well i think because i have fast units in there and and there's one thing too the snow trolls and the snow troll primes all have wild charge one and so that allows you to threaten that middle of the board for like loot tokens and raise counters and that kind of raise tokens and stuff like that. And then you have the Lord, the Fangs and the Knights. So when it comes to scenarios like loot 
and those I can I can threaten you right away. When it comes to scenarios like control uh, or dominate, I have all those small unit strength one scoring units that can pile into different areas when they need to. You know, I can I I'm you know a fang and a frost fang is only 120 points. He's or 125. He's a bargain. I have no problem sitting one of those guys on a token in some terrain and just say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold this token and good luck getting it from me. So it, it does well with that too, because you have all these, 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 it, you know, individual, not individual, but you have these heroes, the large cav and large infantry heroes that, that can hold tokens. They can hold table quarters. They can do all that stuff. So it played scenarios really, really well. Even invade because I could just walk up and you have this wall that you're going to have a hard time getting through to get to my side. Is there any armies that it struggles against? The one big struggle it had, was because of my lack of shooting was against uh, goblin lists. My one, I had one loss with it at Renegade, and it was to Travis Tim's goblins. And I was doing well early, and that tournament was higher points. So we had, I had a, the same list, but I had just a few additions. But you know, it was twenty eight hundred points. But you can imagine me how much stuff goblins have at twenty eight hundred points. And Travis's list at twenty eight hundred points is the filthiest filthiest thing you've ever seen it was awful but i had no way to get to his stuff in the back where my, my ogres have the range weapons to t- reach out and touch his war machines or his characters that are hiding behind his rabble and it makes it really tough on the goblin players but my varangar are forced to go into that kill box that the goblins have because i just don't have an option really we were playing a token scenario where there's tokens spread out all over the board and i was really doing well putting pressure on him in the end he just he just shot everything to pieces once I got in that kill box and it came down I think I lost three tokens to two or something like that because he he was able to shoot my units that were holding tokens he just shot them right off at the end are there any changes to the list that you want to try out yeah I want to make cavern dwellers work I want to love them I want to love them so much but I just I not sure they have a place in my list I'd have to play some games with them I really want that to work uh, but I, like I said, I've been playing, I've been working on a new Abyssal Dwarf project now and some Riftforge Orc stuff. So I've sort of set aside the Varangar for now as I'm working on my Abyssal Dwarves. So um, other than the Cavern Dwellers and maybe, I, I also weirdly wanted to try out the Jabberwock with the Varangar, which I think is a unit that no one takes, but I kind of found him compelling and I used him in some games and he's actually pretty good. So I might have to revisit the Jabberwock. And, and I swapped out the Lord on the Frostfang for the Jabberwock because they were serving essentially the same purpose. Jabberwock kind of does the same thing as the Lord for cheaper. Thanks for sharing with us that list. I'm sure you've got a bunch of budding Varanger players now that are going to take your list and put it on the table. Fun if you just want to run across the table with the wind in your hair and just punch people. Well, next up, Jeff, we've got 10 rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I hope so. What's your favorite army? Ogres and Varangar. What's your least favorite scenario? Loot. Not a question about it. I hate loot. What drives you creatively or competitively? Creatively, I want to paint. Competitively, I want to win every single tournament I play in. When your opponent rolls snake eyes? Oh, yes, the best. When you roll snake eyes? Not again. What is your favorite hobby material? Oh, exacto knives. What is your biggest gaming pet peeve? Most likely when I do it, other people do it, they say, oh man, 
I rolled nine dice and it was two dice below average. Or I rolled 18 hits or 18 dice, but I only hit 10 times. It's one below average. If you had to replace miniature wargaming with another hobby, what would it be? Drinking. What other miniature war game would you not want to play? It's not that I don't want to play it. I really want to play Flames of War, but I know if I do it, I won't come back. If you had a romantic evening with Ronnie Renton, what would you whisper sweetly to him? <laughs> I will never forget the Turkish food. Well, Jeff, thanks for coming on and, share, and sharing all those great <laughs> stories and, and uh, all, all those great concepts and ideas as part of your list building process. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. It's super fun to talk Kings of War, especially when there's people you know, listening and you're asking great questions. It's, it's awesome, man. It's super fun. So we'll see you at Adepticon. What other events are on your radar for 2024? I recently got permission from my Supreme Overlord, my wife, to she's 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 my abyssal dwarf taskmaster but um she she i i got permission to go to masters which i did not think i was going to be able to do this year in dc not because of where it is but because of the timing of it and so i'm super excited to to do masters so i'm going to do adepticon uh there's a local one day here in february that i'm going to do uh i want to do bug eater but I don't think I'm going to be able to. And then there'll be a uh, lady of the lake up in Duluth and then masters. And that'll probably be my tournament year. So five tournaments, maybe six, if I do another one day. And what army are we going to see you at masters with? Honestly, I hadn't thought about it much because I was convinced I wasn't going to be able to go to masters, but because I'm traveling, it's almost for sure going to be my ogres. Even with some of the air quote nerfs, they're still a very strong faction. They're still excellent. They play scenario, play well. They counter a lot of things that a lot of people have a hard time with. Oh, like yeah. Goblins. <laughs> have you started to look at, you know, the redeployment shenanigans that potentially you could use? I don't know if any of those changes to the ogre list are going to be effective, but I'm keen to see people like you put it on the table and run through its paces and see if there's anything there. With what specifically? Ogre Warriors upgrade with a Matriarch 3, gaining redeploy for 5, 10, and 20 points. Holy sh**. I haven't looked at Ogres yet. You're right. That is awesome. Rob, you just opened my eyes. I Because like I said, I've been playing around with all these lists. I hadn't thought about Ogres because I, I put them aside after Masters. And I just literally like two days ago, my wife said I can go to my Masters. I hadn't looked at Ogres yet. I'm going to have to fiddle with the points here. I'm excited about that now. Sorry. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Rob. I really appreciate it, man. Well, that's going to do us tonight. And that's all next time. Keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.